Hello, and welcome as we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament, and we've, uh, we're now into the book of Mark, uh, and so Mark is the second book in the New Testament. I'm thinking that uh, we're in chapter 2 in 14 weeks when we finish this. I have an idea that I may do the book of John next. I know that's not in the sequence they're at in the book, but I, that would allow me to do the book of Luke and the book of Acts back to back. And since Luke wrote both of them, it's, it, there's a nice tie-in. And so uh, I'm considering that at the moment um, uh, as I prepare for uh, like a year from now. <laughs> See, that's faith. You know what I mean? I'm going to get them lessons ready. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're in the second chapter of the book of Mark. Now, Mark uh, is uh, different than Matthew. With Matthew, there was a lot of sort of preamble and background to the story of Jesus and uh, how he came and, and all you know, elements of his birth and, and all sorts of things about his, his life um, before we get into his ministry around, you know, in Matthew, it's the baptism is, a, is uh, in, in chapter uh, 4-ish with the temptation and then he's out. Uh, and then in Matthew 5, he, the Beatitudes sort of kick off the, the big picture. Well, Mark um, jumps right into it. He's into it. Last we started chapter 1, he was already talking about the ministry of Jesus. And he's primarily writing, Mark is, to Romans. And Romans, like, they like it that way. They want their story quick. They want it now. Um, they're sort of, if, if you could put it this way, they want the bottom line. You ever, you ever had somebody that goes to launch into a story and, and about two minutes into their thing, you, you really just want to say, please, just the bottom line. I don't need all the backstory." We heard it on news uh, on a on a TV show the other day. I don't need the I don't need the bio, Chica. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so Mark bottom lines a deal, and he pops us right into the story in Mark chapter one, and he's just keeping us right in it in in Mark chapter two. Although um, there's a little shift at, at first in the first the several encounters with Jesus. Um, it talks about uh, his, his authority and he's demonstrating his authority. He still is. But uh, in that last miracle in, in Mark chapter 1, uh, when we saw him reach out and touch and heal the person with leprosy, and I told you that was huge because um, it, it, uh, by what he was doing, he was breaking down the religious stereotypes. The, the people with skin diseases were unclean and couldn't worship. Basically, they were excommunicated. They had no fellowship. They were isolated. People wouldn't be around them. And for Jesus to, when, when the guy says, if you're willing to make me clean, it's not that he could or couldn't. It was, will you, because I'm unclean. And Jesus not only heals him, but touches him and heals him. Huge. It's huge uh, to know that, that Jesus, because sometimes we feel like we're, you know, we go into one of two extremes. Either we think we got it all together and we get just like the Pharisees, or we think that we're not worthy at all and we can't get anywhere near him. And the reality is that all of us are a mess and yet he loves us and we all need him desperately and he meets us there. And so that, that sort of ended chapter 1 and we'll pick up with Jesus moving in compassion, which is really important because he's going to continue to demonstrate in his actions um, that, that God wants a relationship with his people and it's not the one that's been portrayed by the Pharisees one of rules and regulations. It's not a legalistic um, sort of religious experience. It's an intimate, personal kind of relationship 
where, where he knows our weaknesses and yet wants us to be with him anyway. And that's what Jesus comes to introduce. And again, that's what happens in Mark. So let's read Mark chapter 2, 28 verses. It's nice when there's not that many verses in the chapter because I'm making the font bigger in your notes and you can probably actually read it. Sometimes I'm trying to put like 76 verses in there and it's got to be real small when that happens. Um, but Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and want to read along, you can. I'll be reading out of the NIV. You can follow along whatever paraphrase or translation you prefer and enjoy and uh or you can just read along in the bulletin as we go mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 a few days later when jesus again entered capernaum the people heard that he had come home so many gathered so many gathered that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I don't usually stop. I normally read through, but I must comment on two things because I'll forget them if I don't and when we get back to it. Um, um, First off, just a, a little note. Mark says in general, Jesus preached the word to him, but you notice he doesn't really get into it? Where Matthew gave us way more of the teaching, Mark just sort of says he taught, and then he backed it up with what he does. And, and so you get a different picture, because, again, that's what the Romans wanted to see. See, they wanted, that's what they were interested in. So he says that. And the other thing, just as a side note, I may touch it again. I'm constantly amazed when I read this that there's not more of a fuss made of the hole in the roof. <laughs> because if I was having a nice Bible study at the house, <laughs> and there wasn't room, it would be real cool... The moment they cut through my roof, I would not be as cool with it anymore. And it never says anything about anybody doing anything about it. I mean, did, did Jesus go like, and fix a roof on the way out? <laughs> I don't know. Or do you just have a hole in the roof? Nonetheless, it apparently didn't, wasn't worthy of making the story. Blue tarp. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, guess what? We got a skylight. When Jesus, and this, when Jesus saw their faith, and again, I'll comment on that in the other thing. We'll get back to it. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, June, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd gathered to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Just so you know, do you know who Levi is? Matthew, very good. While Jesus, why they all have different names, I don't know, but they do that commonly, all right? Um, Family names and then what their names was, and then sometimes Jesus would give them a nickname. All right. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, in, in the book of Matthew, when we read and studied that, we saw that Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees started in the Sermon of the Mount with, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And I told you that was significant because Jesus came to uh, demonstrate what God had always intended relationship would be like. Jesus, remember now, fully God, fully man, arrives on the scene, and he's got he's to set everything uh, or start setting things back the way he intended them to be. He's come to inaugurate the kingdom. And, and so um, what he has to do is he has to begin to set the religious order uh, straight because they've, they've messed it up and they've made it so you can't have relationship with God. Again, remember when I, when I talk about the Pharisees that I, I make this distinction very clearly. They started with good intent because they, they started a couple hundred years before Christ as a group in order to protect the uh, Jewish culture from the influences of the Greeks. And so, uh, like lots of things that start with good intention, over time, what happened was that to preserve their culture, they began to, which is what you generally do, institute rules and guidelines. This is what you have to do. This is what you can't do. And then successively over time, because there's always things that pop up, the only way you can fix a situation like that is to keep making more rules and more laws and more rules and more laws and before you know it, it's all rules and laws, and there's no relationship left whatsoever. So, so Jesus was coming and came to set that issue straight. And Mark gets right to it in the book of Mark, particularly in the second chapter. And, and the second chapter of Mark, I would say, is sort of the, the, the parallel call down of the Pharisees that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. There we see it's Jesus just preaching. It's that side of it. Here, all of the miracles that Jesus do, do, does do, did... Um, whichever word you prefer. I gave you all of them that I could think of. Um, and then I forgot what I was talking about. His, his miracles, his actions, his, the, the power, because Mark's writing to the Romans, do the same thing. They, they make the same, they, they pick up the same thread. 
you, you, were, you were taught this, but this is how it's supposed to be. You've heard it said this, and it's not right. This is what it looks like. And what we'll see in the encounters in, in the second chapter is that the Pharisees are involved in, in all of them in some way. Why? He's making this distinction. And, and it's very important for us to get. And the reason why I always go back to the fact that the Pharisees started with good intention, it is very easy for us to get legalistic. Extremely easy. We all have a measure of it anyway. And then uh, it's very easy to think we've got it figured out and to begin to get self-righteous. And any time, in any situation where that extends, we are making it difficult for people to come to Christ to get set free because they think it has to come through our set of filters instead of what it really is. And we have to be real careful. It just is. In, in, our, in America, I love this country. The church in America does not look like the church anywhere else. And that doesn't mean that we've got it figured out. It just means this is what it looks like. However, we often think that because this is what it looks like here, this is what it's supposed to look like everywhere, and it's not. It looks way different in different places. still loves Jesus. That's what matters. But we have to be careful in, in our encounters, and you'll see what happens, because I, I guarantee you these things pop up, and we have to be careful even now in the way that we do. So just kind of hold on to that. And that's why when I, when I talk about the Pharisees, I don't want to um, make them such villains that we think that could never happen to us, because they're not. They just have gotten off a little track thinking that they had it figured out and they better, they better keep it safe for everybody. Okay, so in, in the first sort of encounter that happens, it's uh, the guys coming through the roof in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I already told you that I always get a kick out of the, the roof thing because I think about what it would be like. But the, the big issues that, that I do want to cover in this are, one, the, it was the friends of the paralytic whose faith Jesus speaks about. Sorry. Why I think that's important is sometimes we're told that, that see, um, faith is important. We have to have faith. And, and I, 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 I understand how important faith is. But sometimes people take faith and they make it something different. And, and the, sort of if you're going through problems uh, as a Christian, sometimes people will say it's because you have a lack of faith. And I struggle with that concept because I think as, as believers living in a fallen world, the scripture pretty much tells me that, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when you have problems. It's, it's part of the package. And, and so um, when, when you go through difficulties and, and all of the things that are, that are part of this, this fallen world, this broken planet, um, we don't need to immediately jump to it must be a lack of faith or that you've got some horrible sin in your life. Sometimes it's just that you live here. And it's part, of the, it's part of the deal. And so um, one of the things I like about this text was that it's not the paralytic's faith. It had nothing to do with his healing, um, as far as we can tell. What Jesus commended was the guys who so desperately wanted to get their friend to Jesus because they knew. See, get it. They knew if they could get him to Jesus, he would be changed. And they weren't going to let the crowd stop him. So up they went on the roof, and they, they cut their way in. And uh, again, I, I get this idea of just, you know, you're sitting there, dirt roofs, mud roofs, uh, just kind of sitting there in a the house and all of a sudden, you know, you get the, <laughs> the first chunks of dirt falling on you like, what in the world is that? And then, you know, <laughs> there's a bigger hole and the guy sticks his head in. Okay, we're going to make it. <laughs> and they cleared out enough to lower the guy on the mat down. But, but anyway, they get him to Jesus. Now, this interaction is fascinating because in the room, there are some teachers of the law, some Pharisees hanging out in the room. And they're there. See, they're, they're interested to some level because and, 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 they can't deny 
the things that are happening, and yet it, it takes them everything they've known and pushes it out. So they, they ultimately turn against Jesus. But in, in all these instances, they're around seeing what's happening uh, to the process. And when, when, when they lower the guy down into the room, Jesus sees that, and he doesn't immediately pray for the guy to be healed. He says something fascinating. He says, wow. He sees the guy's faith, the friend's faith, and he looks at the, and he says, your sins are forgiven. That's huge. See, it's like he makes this one. In the one statement, he basically did what he did in three chapters in Matthew. Your sins are forgiven. Why? What happened? The Pharisees are, they're, they're not happy. And they're thinking to themselves. Catch this part. Now they're thinking to themselves, this guy's a blasphemer. No one can forgive sins but God. And they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Why can Jesus do it? Because he is. He's God. All right? It's one of those... And so they're, at, at one level, they're right, but because they're not recognizing who Jesus is, they go to blasphemer. Now, get, they're just thinking it. It says that. They're thinking it. And, and then Jesus says, you've got to love this. Hey, why are you thinking those things? <laughs> Don't, wouldn't that mess you up a little bit? Do you get it? He, they, they, they just got to be like stopped. And he, and he says, and he asks them this question. Well, what would be easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to be healed? And then he doesn't let him answer because it's a challenge question. Because the answer is obviously it would be way easier to say to someone your sins are forgiven just as words. But he says, but so you know that I have authority to do what I said, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. It's, it's a huge encounter. And again, he's, in his actions, he's confronting the, the legalistic religious culture of his time um, who, who were stuck in their, their very small way of how they did things with God. And, and so um, that was the first encounter. Now, in, in verses 13 through 17, um, Levi, who is Matthew, by the way, uh, our, our friend that wrote us the last letter, or at least was named after him, um, is called to follow Christ. And Levi is a tax collector. Now, we've said this before, but tax collectors, unlike today in our culture, tax collectors back then weren't very popular. <laughs> Nothing changes. And so they were hated. They were despised because they, they, they collected money for the Romans for one thing, and they were all crooked for another thing, for the most part. That's how they're portrayed. And so they weren't, they weren't liked. And so they kind of hung out together. As you can imagine, if you didn't have, you know, if you'd, so you'd hang out with other tax collectors. Well, well, Matthew gets called by Christ, and what he does before they go on their journey, he has his friends come to the house, and he invites Jesus over. And Jesus goes, happily goes. Why would Jesus happily go to where a bunch of tax collectors were? Because Jesus loves people. And he doesn't care what their label is. See, what did the religious people do? They were shocked. How can, and their question was, how can, can he go and be with those people? This is one of the places where we can get trapped real fast because we can get like this real quick. People that don't know Jesus yet don't act like people that know Jesus, even though that's not always that great. But when you're with people before they come to Christ, you can expect them to do things that you hopefully aren't doing anymore, and it's just part of the deal. 
Because why wouldn't, why wouldn't they live like that? The reality is, why wouldn't you? If you didn't know Christ, there'd be a lot of... If I didn't know Christ, there'd be a whole lot of things I would do that I don't do presently because I know that they're not right to do. But, but the reason I know that is because of my relationship with Christ. However, do I start to disdain people that still do things that I wouldn't do because my relationship with Christ has made it so I wouldn't do them? Do you get the process here? Because what that makes me, the moment I begin to wall off those people, I've become a Pharisee. The moment I happen, I'm a Pharisee. I've just joined the ranks. Well, I can't be around those people. They're, they're impure. What did Jesus do? Got right in the middle of it. Why? Because he loved people. What happens when people get around Jesus? A lot of times they repent. Because they just they, all of a sudden they get what it means to be loved by God. We've got to be real careful that we don't become Pharisees. Now, sometimes in certain situations in our lives, we can't be around people because maybe if we're around them, they're going to pull us away from what we know to be the truth. And at that point, that's just wisdom. All right? But, but not because we're making a judgment against people. And so we have to be very careful with that. And, and, uh, and that's one of the big traps I see all the time, is that we, as, as the, the church begins to... Um, distance itself in religious ways and we make it impossible to reach people we become just like the pharisees we become just caught up in religious rules and regulations and we're, we're done at that point we're not effective any longer we can't we can't reach people from there you can't get to these people unless you're out there talking to them you don't have to do the things that they do but you need to be around them anyway jesus knew that and that's what he did and and so and he said look it's not the healthy that need doctors the sick the, the, the good news that we have is only good for people that need good, some good news. If they don't think they need it, then don't waste your breath. It's for people that, that, you know, that desperately need anything. And they're looking for it in all sorts of other ways. So we move into that. All right. In the next encounter, it's, a, it's an interesting question in verses 18 through 22. Because the, the disciples are questioned about fasting, Jesus and his disciples. Why come your disciples don't fast like John the Baptist's disciples and like the disciples of the Pharisees? And Jesus' comments are, uh, the, uh, Mark uses these comments to the first, uh, this is the first introduction of, the, of the, what's coming up ahead in, in the crucifixion and the resurrection because he begins to tie in the idea of, of Jesus being the bridegroom and we're the bride. And there'll be a time when he's taken away. And at that point, they'll be fasting. And, and I think he's, the point that he's making about there, the fasting will be, uh, he's using it sort of in a symbolic way that, that the joy that they know in his presence, they're going to not have for a little while uh, when he goes. And, and that, that three days while they wait uh, is a uh, got to be a horrible, horrible time in their lives. And he's sort of beginning to talk about that, introducing the concept in these verses. And then people always ask me about the wineskins. Oh, I don't get it. What's the new and the old and, the, and this and the that and the patches? Because it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? It's a, it's a representation. The, the, the way that had evolved through the Pharisees of what relationship with God looked like, that's the old. And, and Jesus was coming, and he's bringing the new, and you, they don't fit together. They, they, the, you have to move into the new. All right, this was, this was, it didn't keep working any longer for the, the plans of God and the kingdom of God. Now, when I say that again, God still has a thing going on with the Jews and he will and, and there's something that happens at the end and there's a big deal and I don't understand it fully. Nobody does. 
So I'm not saying they're done no good anymore. It's not going to happen. I'm saying that when he came, he brought the new and he inaugurated the kingdom of God and that it's the gospel that we have to preach as far as salvation goes. Now, it's not rules and regulations. It's the gospel. It's relationship. It's Christ. And, and so he's making this point that the, you can't hang on to the old stuff, the rules and the regulations, and, and think that you're going to get the new stuff, which is what he came about, which is relationship. And he's making a very clear distinction in the two. It's a, it's a new thing. The, the gospel, Jesus coming, the way to salvation, all of his message was what is now what we have and, and what's represented. Okay, So that, that whole process is all about that. And then um, in the last of the stories... And, and remember, in, all, in virtually every one of these accounts, the Pharisees have been involved because he's making this illustration. You've heard it said, but I say to you, now he's just doing it with actions. And he continues to minister to people that they wouldn't have got anywhere near and, he, and to show them how much God loves them, which is good news for us. And he keeps sort of saying that the rules and regulations they have, they've missed it with. And, and, and he goes after the Sabbath in this last few verses. Now, this is huge because Sabbath is huge in Jewish tradition. And, and I've said it before, Sabbath is, is big for us still. The, the, you know, the, the idea didn't get washed away that, that we're not supposed to take a day with God. We are. Um, the, the thing is, it's what day I don't think is of primary importance because, and I think that's what Jesus says here. It's a day. It's a time. It's a break. You were created for a break. You need a, you need a break. And that your Sabbath can consist of you know, um, it's not just not doing anything, which is what the rules have made it. It's, it's getting refreshed in the Lord. It's recreating. It's getting your focus back. I think that's all part of Sabbath. And yet even we can get legalistic about Sabbath because as soon as people, you've heard me say this, agree with me that we should still be taking a Sabbath every week, what they want is the rules. Okay, I'll take a Sabbath. What, what are the rules? I don't know why the rules want to go with Sabbath, but it always does. I have to say it's not about rules. It's about stopping your normal flow of everything that you do, busy, 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 and, and at some level it says, God, I trust you, and you created me, and you say, I need a day break, and whatever that looks like. Does that mean you, you, you can't? There's certainly, everybody's got responsibilities. You've got kids. They don't give you a day off. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I mean, things have to get taken care of, but it's, it's like, I'm not going to work because I'm going to fill my life up with work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break because I, I need to. I'm going to hang out with God. I'm going to do some things I like, and it can be all about God. All right. So the Sabbath, though, had become this fearful event that took place every week because there were so many rules and regulations that, that it got to the ridiculous. It, it became events like, uh, you know, you could only take eggs from the chickens that were uh, sitting on a certain side. And um, uh, I've heard it, the, the women couldn't pluck a chin hair because uh, <laughs> that would be considered work. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> they won't be leaving the house today. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, it, it went to the utterly ridiculous, but it can get there real quick. And when Jesus comes in and he says, you're missing it, listen, Sabbath, God made the Sabbath for you, not the other way around, because you need a break. You need to hang out with him. You need to step out of the float. You need to stop. And, and it's these actions that throw the Pharisees over the edge and, and begin the same, the process that we saw in Matthew. They're going to now begin the plot to kill him. 
uh, along the journey. But you need to see the heart of God for you, the compassion of God for you, that, that he wants relationship with you. All of us in this room have failed at keeping the rules because we've all sinned. So, so it's a good thing that we've got Jesus or we'd all be in trouble because we couldn't make it. Nobody in the room is good enough. There's some really good people in this room. It's not enough. You won't make it apart from Christ. That's it. And so, so we're thankful that he's come and, and he's done what he's done. And so that's what we get in Mark chapter 2. And I will close it down there. Uh, if you're watching the videos, uh, it's Scott or Pam or who's ever up in Williston will pray for you. And uh, if you're on the Internet, um, let us know. Email us, call us, write us. I'd be happy to pray for you. We're going to shut it down here, pray for the group, and call it night. Pass me your prayer requests, please.